Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with Walk in Harmony with God as we pick up in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 17. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Seest thou not what they do in the cities of Judah in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, and the fathers kindle the fire, and the women knead their dough to make cakes to the queen of heaven. They're worshiping Ashtoreth, Semiramis, the queen of heaven, the goddess of fertility, and to pour out drink offerings unto other gods that they may provoke me to anger. So here, God's people, the little children, are out gathering sticks. And the fathers, they bring them home to the fathers who kindle the fire. And the women are there kneading the dough so they can bake these little cakes to the goddess of fertility, Semiramis, the queen of heaven. God said, that's it. That's, that's more than I can take. Just leave. Don't pray anymore. Don't intercede anymore. I'm through. I've had it. That's, that's it. Do they provoke me to anger, saith the Lord? Do they not provoke themselves to the confusion of their own faces? Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, my anger and my fury shall be poured out upon this place, upon man, upon the beasts, upon the trees of the field, upon the fruit of the ground, and it shall burn and shall not be quenched. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, put your burnt offerings unto your sacrifices and eat flesh. For I spake not unto your fathers, nor commanded them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. But this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice. God said, I didn't set up sacrifices to begin with. The burnt offerings and the peace offerings. God didn't establish them until after he had given the law and they they disobeyed the law. Then God set the sacrifices for burnt offering and all. But he said, I said unto them, Obey my voice, and I will be your God. You will be my people. Walk in all of the ways that I have commanded you, and it will be well unto you. Just obey me, God says, and walk with me in harmony with my desires and wishes. But they hearkened not, nor inclined their ear, but they walked in the counsels and the imaginations of their own evil hearts. And they went backward, away from me, instead of towards me. Since the day that your fathers came forth out of the land of Egypt unto this day, I have even sent unto you all of my servants, the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. God had not left them. From the beginning, he had sent his messengers, his servants, to warn them and to challenge them to commit their lives to God. Yet they hearkened not unto me, nor inclined their ear, but they hardened their neck, and they did worse than their fathers. Therefore, thou shalt speak all these words unto them, but they will not hearken. Now you're to go out, Jeremiah, and say the words, but they're not going to listen. Oh, man, what a heavy-duty trip Jeremiah had. You know, it's a ministry that has a promise of failure. (laughs) Now, Know this, though the ministry was destined for failure from the beginning, yet it was a necessary ministry that God required of Jeremiah, and because Jeremiah was faithful and obedient, God blessed Jeremiah as his instrument, though there was to be no success 
come from his ministry. Now, we have in our minds sort of a carryover in our service to the Lord. We have a carryover from the secular world concepts. For if I am a salesman, I only get commissions when I get the signature on the dotted line. And so sometimes I feel discouraged and defeated because I didn't get the signature on the dotted line. I witnessed to them, but they rejected the witness. And I feel, oh, I'm so defeated, you know, because they didn't hear. And oh, what a waste of time. You know, I spent all afternoon with them and then they rejected anyhow. Oh, what a waste of time. Wait a minute. Not so. God rewards you for the witnessing whether or not anybody ever listens, hearkens, or, or changes. You see, God only requires that I witness for him, and God knows that some of the witnessing is just going to fall on deaf ears. But he still requires me to do it. Now, Jeremiah, you go out and speak all these things. Oh, they're not going to listen to you. That's all right. You go out and tell them anyhow. Because God wants his witness to be left so that men are without excuse. So God requires us to go out and to witness, and not always are we going to be successful. That doesn't make any difference. It, it has no difference uh, and, and no standing at all upon my reward when I stand before God. God will not reward me for the number of people that responded to my witness. God will reward me for witnessing. God will reward me the same if 10 responded or no one responded. Because the response isn't my territory at all. That's God's territory. Only God can create a response in the heart of the people. It isn't up to me to argue people into a faith or believing in Jesus Christ. It's only up to me to witness to them of God and of God's word and of God's truth. And then it's up to the Spirit of God to take that witness and do with it what he wants in the heart of the individual. And quite often we don't know the real work of the Spirit in the heart of a person. I had a drunk man come to the door one night, all upset because he had been in a big fight with his family, and they had called the police because he ripped the phone off the wall and violent, wanted help. I said, well, what do you want? He said, I want to get right with God. I want you to call my wife, you know, and all this kind of stuff, and tell her how horrible she is, <laughs> treating me like she has. He said, I can't get anybody to pray through with me. Well, I didn't really know what he meant by that, but... I thought, well, I'll pray with you as long as you want to pray. So I took him over to the church, which was next door to our house. And we started praying together. In the first half hour, he is praying vengeance and judgment upon all those that had treated him so wrong, you know. And I just sort of prayed along quietly. Then after the first half hour, he began to change and say, Lord, I haven't been so good myself, and I've done some pretty bad things. And he began to, to really get somewhere, I thought, in prayer as he, as he changed the whole tenor of the prayer from vindictiveness upon those that he felt were treating him ill. And, and he began to really ask God for himself, confess his own guilt, and, and ask God to help him. And I, I was encouraged by that. In the next half hour, he was praying about himself and, and seeking God to really work in his life. And then he went into a, a period of just sort of praising the Lord, and, and I could tell that uh, 
he was getting sleepy because, you know, he'd say, oh, thank you, Lord. You know, and, and so finally he was, oh, thank you, Jesus, and he sort of drifted off. So I continued to pray for a little while until I was sure that he was sound asleep, and so I got a blanket and covered him and went home. Because he said he couldn't go home. Uh, they kicked him out. So I thought, well, you know, he's sleeping in the church and it hurt. So when I got home, my wife said, uh, well, how did it go? I said, I really don't know. You know, when you're dealing with a man who's drunk, you really don't know how, you know, whether it really got through or took or whatever. You know, you just really don't know. Next morning, I went over to the church, and the blanket was all folded and lying there, and he was gone. But the next evening at 6.30, dressed in a suit, looking sharp as could be, he was at the door and says, when in the world does the Bible study start? <laughs> and I knew God got through. But you never really know always at the time. You know, God can be doing a work in a person's life and you not really know it until you see the fruit and the evidence of it later. But Jeremiah's ministry was destined for failure. They're not going to hearken. You're going to call to them, but they're not going to answer. But you shall say unto them, This is a nation that obeyed not the voice of Jehovah their God, nor received correction. Truth is perished and is cut off from their mouth. Cut off your hair, O Jerusalem, cast it away. Take up a lamentation on the high places, for the Lord hath rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath. For the children of Judah have done evil in my sight, saith the Lord. They have set their abominations in the house, which is called by my name to pollute it. They had, they had altars to Baal and all right in the temple of God. They have built the high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, or Gehenna there on the uh, outskirts of Jerusalem, the Hinnom Valley that goes on down on the up, outside of the Mount of Zion, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command of them, neither came it into my heart. God said that never uh, would I require the sacrifice of the children unto me. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that it shall no more be called Tophet, nor the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. For they shall be buried in Tophet until there is no place left to bury them. And the carcasses of these people will be meat for the fowls of the heaven and for the beasts of the earth, and none shall frighten them away. Then will I cause to cease from the cities of Judah the inhabitants, and from the streets of Jerusalem, the voice of merriment and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, for the land shall be desolate. Now you go and you warn them, they're not going to listen, but I'm going to do it. Now at that time, saith the Lord, they shall bring out the bones of the kings of Judah and the bones of his princes and the bones of the priests, the bones of the prophets, the bones of the inhabitants out of their graves. And they shall spread them before the sun and the moon and all of the hosts of heaven whom they have loved and whom they have served and after whom they have walked and whom they have sought and whom they have worshipped. They shall not be gathered nor be buried that they shall be for dung upon the face of the earth and death shall be chosen rather than life by the residue of them that remain in this evil family which remain in all of the places whither I have driven them, saith the Lord of hosts. 
Now he talks about them worshiping the sun, the moon, the host of heaven. But this verse 3 is interesting to me. Death shall be chosen rather than life by the residue of them that remain of this evil family. And the last of the Jews to hold out against the Roman government were in Masada. And this was a prophecy fulfilled as they chose death rather than life and committed mass suicide at Masada rather than to be taken by the Romans. And so that was the final residue of those that remained prior to the dispersion by the Roman government. The final residue of people chose death rather than life. Moreover, shalt thou say unto them, Thus saith the Lord, shall they fall and not arise? Shall he turn away and not return again? In other words, though they're going to be wiped out, the last of those that remain will choose to commit suicide rather than be taken captive. Yet God said, I will return. I will deal with them again. Oh, the patience of God and the grace of God as he promises, even though they have failed, he will be true and faithful and he will gather them again in the last days. Why then is this people of Jerusalem slitten back by a perpetual backsliding? They hold fast deceit. They refuse to return. I hearkened and heard, but they spoke not aright. No man repented him of the wickedness, saying, What have I done? Everyone turned to his course as a horse rushes to the battle. Now the stork of the heaven knows her appointed times, and the turtle and the crane and the swallow observe the time of their coming. But the people know not the judgment of the Lord. Even the animals have certain instinctive knowledge. But my people, God said, are, are refusing to obey the conscience of their own hearts. It's been planted there. God has put his word in each man in his heart. But man refuse even those basic instincts of good and evil, right and wrong. Now the swallow returns every year to Capistrano. He knows the days. He observes the times. They have an instinctive built-in kind of a little guidance computer system. But here, people, infinitely wiser than the animals, yet disobeying that inner conscience that God has placed in each man. How do you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? Lo, certainly in vain he gave it or he made it. The pen of the scribes is in vain. The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Lo, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom is really in them? How can you say you're wise? We've got the law of the Lord. God gave the law, he said, in vain. God sent his son in vain, as far as many people are concerned. If you have rejected Jesus Christ as your Savior, God sent his son to die in vain. And the death of Jesus Christ is in vain as far as you are concerned. It is only as you have received Jesus Christ that it becomes valid and meaningful. For they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. 
Were they ashamed when they had committed abominations? Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore they shall fall among them that fall, and in the time of their visitation they shall be cast down, saith the Lord, for I will surely consume them, saith the Lord. There shall be no more grapes in the vine, nor figs in the fig tree. The leaf shall fade, and the things that I have given them shall pass away from them. Why do we sit still? Assemble yourselves, and let us enter into the defense cities, and let us be silent. For the Lord our God hath put us to silence and given us water of gall to drink because we have sinned against the Lord. We looked for peace, but no good came. And for the time of help, and behold, there was trouble. The snorting of his horses was heard from Dan. The Babylonian armies moving down from the upper area of Dan, the whole land trembled at the sound of the neighing of the strong ones. For they are come, they've devoured the land and all that is in it, the city and those that dwell therein. For behold, I will send serpents, cockatrices among you, which will not be charmed, and they shall bite you, saith the Lord. When I would comfort myself against sorrow, my heart is faint in me. Behold, the voice of the cry of the daughter of my people, because of them that dwell in the far country. Is not the Lord in Zion? Is not her king in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their graven images and with the strange vanities? The harvest is past. The summer is ended. And we are not saved. For the hurt of the daughter of my people am I hurt. I am black. Astonishment hath taken hold on me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is not the health of the daughter of my people recovered? So God's lament now and God's crying over the situation. And I think the saddest lament in the whole Bible is this in verse 20 where God declares the harvest is past. The summer is ended and they are not saved lost, eternally lost. The time of harvest is over. Let me warn you as a servant of God and as his spokesman that the day of harvest is almost over. The summer is almost past. God is winding up very rapidly his program on this planet Earth. The day of salvation will soon be over. Paul said the night is far spent. The day is at hand. That is the new day of God's kingdom. If you're not saved, you don't have much more time to wait. The harvest is almost over. God is about ready to bring things to a climax. Now how God identifies is beautiful. For the hurt of the daughter of my people, God said, I am hurt. It hurts God to see these people miss out on what God wants for them. God is hurt when I am walking out of fellowship with him and thus am losing out on all that he wants to do for me. 
It hurts God to see me suffering for my own follies. For the hurt of my people, God said, I am hurt. Now Jeremiah declares, Oh, that my head were water, and my eyes were as a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place of wayfaring men. You know now why he was called the weeping prophet. He wished that his head were of water and his eyes were the fountain that these tears might run continually for the tragedy of the people. Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place of wayfaring men that I might leave my people and go from them for they are all adulterers. They are an assembly of treacherous men and they bend their tongues like a bow for lies. <laughs> That's quite a picturesque speech, isn't it? They're bending their tongue like a bow so they can shoot out their arrows of lies. <laughs> Hit you. verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Jeremiah in our next broadcast. As Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Jeremiah 7 through 8 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. And now may the Lord help you to assimilate that which we have studied, and may he bring to your remembrance those things which he has commanded. And may you be enriched in the knowledge of God and his will and his plan for your life. May the Lord be with you, to bless you, to guide you, and may you be kept by that power of God through faith and trust in him. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. I'd like to tell you about a book written by Chuck Smith entitled Living Water. In this book, Pastor Chuck explains how God has the power to change your life through His Holy Spirit. This book will help you to understand how the Holy Spirit works in your life, covering such topics as who is the Holy Spirit, what does the Holy Spirit do, what are the gifts of the Spirit, and how should I respond. It's Pastor Chuck's desire that by God's grace and through this book, 
the Lord will develop in you a hunger and thirst for the things after the Spirit that will help you come into a deeper and personal relationship with Him, transforming your life. To find out more and to read a book preview, visit thewordfortoday.org and click on the link to download Living Water by Chuck Smith. Or if you'd like to order this book in print, call The Word for Today at 800-272-WORD. That's 800-272-9673.